Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome back to Other Minds and Hands. I am joined, as always, by Maggie Park, who is, as always, somewhere else new in the bohemian existence that (laughs) that Maggie and her family are like. Bohemian and not hobo. (laughs) you know like maybe depends on the time of day i don't know but um anyway yeah no it's um uh uh, so glad that you could join us again in the midst of you but i think like things are moving towards like yeah i feel like before we get into adaptation discussion every week i have to give you all an update on my living situation (laughs) right so we moved out of my sister-in-law's house we moved into our rental house and today we got the keys to our new house so Guys, the UK like housing market is no joke, but we got keys to our house today. So we went over to the house and just like sat there and had a cup of tea and watched my kid like run around and explore and the dog was going crazy and it was like, Oh my god, this is our home. So it was really exciting. Awesome. That's yeah. Very cool. So I I hope to have things set up there fairly soon that you, you will have like wait till you see the ideas I have for the broadcast station I'm going to be making in this new home. <laughs> Allie told awesome. me, my husband told me he's going to build me a hobbit hut in the back garden. <laughs> nice. Very good. Very good. Yeah. That's that's when it's really a home, of course. You know, when you have a nice little when hobbit hut. When you have a hobbit. Yeah, Absolutely. have a hobbit hut. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Very so thank cool. you. I'm here. <laughs> yes, here you are. We're glad you're here. So uh, today we're going to continue. Got a little... <laughs> Got a little sidetracked last week, hard to believe, but um, we're gonna um, we're gonna return to our discussion of the Peter Jackson adaptation, and um, we decided we're gonna go kind of uh, laterally. We've been dis- discussing the Fellowship of the Ring film, um, but we we've talked about a lot of characters, but there are still uh, important elements of the Fellowship of the Ring that we've not talked about yet. Um, and that, uh, and that I think we should. Uh, so today we're going to talk about Legolas and Gimli. Um, now, one thing I have to say that I think uh, to kind of frame the discussion from a text standpoint, right? Legolas in particular, Gimli also to a lesser extent, but Legolas principally. I think of all of the sort of major characters of the Lord of the Rings, right? Of all of the, I mean, he's a member of the Company of the Ring, right? I mean, he's. Uh, He's 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 one of the nine very prominent. He is also, I think, by far the biggest like black box of any of those characters. Like he is um, they started with the cleanest slate with Legolas, I think, than they had with any of the other characters. There was like you you think about even sort of comparably kind of minor characters like Pippin. For instance, right? He's not Frodo and Sam, right? He's a he's a sort of a, you know a second tier member of the company as far as you know the amount of narrative focus on him in the story. Um, but Pippin has a strong character, right, yeah. from the beginning, a strong character and personality. Um, definitely something people would be going to the theaters and saying like, are they going to get Pippin took right, right? Um, and yeah. even Mary Brandybuck, I think. But Legolas, like I cannot imagine that there were very many people, very many Tolkien fans who went to the theaters saying like, oh, I just pray okay, to God they don't screw up Legolas, right? <laughs> like, you know, that's, I, yeah. I just, I really can't imagine that that was the case for almost anyone. I'm not saying that nobody likes Legolas. I'm not saying he's not interesting or important. I'm just saying that he, he doesn't, he doesn't have that kind of, that kind of personal depth in, um, uh, in, in the books. I mean, it's interesting because, Sorry, no, go ahead, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. 
I was going to say, we on Tuesday, we just, uh, Tuesday of this week, we just were looking and exploring the Lord of the Rings at the passage where Legolas really, it's not the first time he speaks, but it's the first time he kind of comes out of the shadows and is established, is given any glimpse of personality, basically. Um, and that is when he walks on the snow. Um, when he, you know, and, and not only walks on the snow, um, but like, trolls everybody else about it. <laughs> like it's 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 a, it's a significant moment um yeah. and so yeah so we, we were looking at one of the things that um uh one of the things that i think had uh, uh was interesting that sort of emerged from that discussion on tuesday is that the thing and you can see it very prominently in the text at that moment um there's really a sense of like what what's important about him is not who he is. It's not his person. It's that he's an elf, right? I mean, he's really, he's kind of a token elf, not token in the sense that like, he, you know, they, they have to have one and he fills the bill, but rather like that, that's what he's not Legolas Greenleaf, son of Thranduil. Right. He's the elf. Right. In the, and in the has, party. And has a few characteristics that are very token elf. You know, he has a few things that does set him apart. So when you look at the grand picture of the fellowship, one looks different than the other. So I feel like visually that's a really important thing to have, ironically, in a text. But, like, it's nice to kind of show that variation and diversity in the crew. But I also didn't really feel that way when I was reading the books about Legolas, that he was underdeveloped by any means. He just Mm -hmm. wasn't deeply developed if that makes sense no and most of right and most of the attention that's given to him is given to him as being different because he's an elf right right Right. like he's not because he's different it's just because he's an elf because he's an elf right like so his eyesight right uh the fact that he doesn't sleep right like all these things that's it doesn't tell you anything about legolas personally it just tells you about elves and how elves are different from everybody else and since he's the only one he's the only elf that we do more than visit, right? That we do more than just kind of check in on. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, well, I think that's what made it so, I mean, we'll get into the film, but I think that's what made him so fun as a film character because I feel like there was a certain level of responsibility with other character development and necessity. Like we had to get all these characters from A to B to C to B and had to care yeah. about each of those movements. Right. So to have a character from the text, you, not that you didn't care about Legolas, but he was just there. <laughs> well, exactly. And for this reason, again, they had huge scope, bigger scope with Legolas to develop him in almost whatever direction they want. I mean, there would have been directions they could have developed him in that would have like seemed weird, right? That would have been like more sure. actively discordant with what the, you know, with the roles that he has in the book. But, but again, they had, they had, I think pretty broad leeway uh, to, yeah. um, uh, to, to, to make of his character almost anything that they, that they wanted. Um, yeah. Um, so doing, with that kind of preamble <laughs> from thinking about the relationship with the book, um, I don't want to. I want to. I don't want to. You know, break our own guidelines or ignore our own advice about how to approach adaptation, right? And just start off by going through point by point and comparing and contrasting with the book. Let's instead look at movie Legolas, right? Um, and say, okay, what what is the what is the role of movie Legolas? Well, yeah. 
like, like when you think when you think about developing that character and they had a giant board in the front of the room with each of the nine fellowship you know like mm-hmm. which which what which boxes were ticked under the legolas column yeah like ethereal a definitely otherworldly sexy hot androgynous i mean you know that was definitely hot the yeah of like hot we gotta find a... somebody really stunningly gorgeous <laughs> and that is interesting i mean of course like you can never fully i'm sure that there are many times that film producers cast someone and they're like oh like this guy is going to be the next you know teen heartthrob for the next 10 years and it doesn't pan out right um so these things are not always predictable in the effect but nevertheless, I think it's pretty clear <laughs> that that one of the things they liked about Orlando Bloom in that role, though he was completely unknown as an actor, yeah. you know, before that point, was, um, you know, this guy uh, is both enormously attractive and has great charisma. And, th- and so when they're filling the role, clearly those were things they were looking for for the Legolas well, role, right? And also, I just really liked how strikingly differently they styled him. Uh, he does look similar to the wood elves you can see that kind of you know affinity and and kinship there but he has this like you know the long blonde hair the the really stunningly beautiful face he's not hot or sexy he's beautiful you know Mm. there's Mm -hmm. just this really lovely that orlando bloom kind of looks like that but orlando bloom was kind of hot i mean i was a teenager when these came out so like orlando bloom was hot right and Legolas was beautiful. Like there's, okay. there is a difference there. So I feel like okay. well, that no, you're itself right. I mean, leans into the the character. That's a really good point. I mean, the his costuming was not in any way designed to emphasize like his hot bod. You know, like, it was not just a pinup. You know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're right about like the beautiful face, right? Um, and even the sort of affect, right? There was like uh, they, they were going for. I don't know. It does seem to con- like elegance and beauty, right? Or what I want to, yes. or what I want to yes. sort of say um, about Measured, that. Measured, yeah, level, sculpted. Yeah, that's a good word. Sculpted praise. praise. I agree. Yeah. yeah, that 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 kind of and really, really playing that up. And again, and I, I think you're right to point out that costuming can make a huge difference here, right? Totally. I mean, you know, had he, uh, had you could have dressed Legolas in such a way as to convey hot and sexy rather than sculpted and beautiful, right? Well, and, but and that was a choice. Just, yeah, and even if you just flat compare him to, like, Rings of Power, you know, Iron Deer has bare arms and that sculpted chest plate is not a sex symbol, but it's a very different choice mm-hmm. than this wood elf that's clad in, you know, leather and, and braces and things like that. And yeah. even the Legolas choice versus you know, the other wood elves who are in long velvet gowns. He's not wearing long velvet gowns. He's wearing this very functional attire so he can shoot his bow and arrow, so he can right. ride the trunk of the elephant. You know, so he's, he's a very <laughs> right. active, active elf. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. No, I think that that's... And by the way, I would, I mean, as just to, at the risk of introducing a digression, but... I think that we can see they made a very similar choice with Evangeline Lilly in the Hobbit films, as far as her costuming was concerned, mm-hmm. right? Um, Evangeline Lilly was beautiful in the Hobbit movies, but she was not present. She was not sexy. Like her clothing right. did not emphasize her body. Again, it was, it was beautiful and sculpted rather than 
hot and sexy again with the female elf as well, which, by the way, is one of the things I always admired, um, you know, in introducing a female character to the Hobbit films like they did. There was always like I was my dread in approaching that was that, you know, it was going to be there was going to be some like slave Leia moment. Right. You know, like basically where they were going to yeah. where they were going to try to amp up, uh, you know, just to add sex appeal to the story. Right when you add a female character and I was dreading that and it didn't happen. I, I was really, um, yeah. I thought they handled that really like respectfully. Um, <clears throat> but again, the point is to bring it back to relevance. We see them that that's, that's the trend that they established first with, with Legolas's character. And and you can see the, like the reason in story, why you would want that kind of draw. Like, of course you want that kind of tension of a romance, but this film didn't warrant just a sex symbol. It needed kind of the deeper mm-hmm. levels that we see between Aragorn and Arwen and things like that. But, <laughs> excuse me, what I did love was that they really played with the other levels of intimacy in this group. And I feel yes. like, I don't want to go off on too big of a tangent because I feel like this could be a whole other episode, but the yeah. relationship between Legolas and Gimli, you know, mm-hmm. the way that they could build that up and how they could draw that relationship on screen between yes. these two warring factions into this this tight knit group. And also the brotherly relationship between Aragorn and Legolas absolutely loved in the film. Yes. Their ability to communicate with each other. It just yeah, I absolutely love that you could see the depth, the history, all of that in their relationship. So having Legolas as kind of this like vanilla type character that they were able to mold was really well done and facilitated a lot of other storytelling that I think needed to happen for everybody mm-hmm. else's arcs to work really well too. Yeah. Oh, I agree. And I, I remember uh, as, a, as a viewer, the very first thing that struck me about Legolas's character was that the presumed previous relationship with Aragorn, the way that he was brought in as a, um, confidant almost relationship yeah. with Aragorn. Like his like one a, close friend in the fellowship, essentially. I mean, he, yeah. he knew Gandalf, right? I mean, it's not like they were strangers or something. But um, uh, whereas, again, in the book, it's Gandalf and Aragorn who know each other best. Like they're yeah. the w- ones with the longest standing relationship. Um, and um, yeah, Legolas is, of course, uh, um, Phil is joking about the fact we made a lot of this. Uh, we were really amused by this in Exploring the Lord of the Rings. Um, Legolas's first introduction, literally first introduction in the book, is he's called he's called a strange elf. Yeah. Um, just meaning an elf from out of town, primarily, is what it, I, I believe it, it is conveying there. But um, but uh, yes, Legolas as the strange elf is uh, is is has been kind of a running joke. Um, but but again, again, clearly in the book, again, he is from out of town. He is the outsider, um, yeah. and that again is one of his larger roles. He's the outsider because he's from Markwood and nobody knows him. Even Gimli has like a family connection anyway, right? Like he and Frodo are like, um, are like, you know, second cousins, right? They're not, they're, they're like, they're, they're, they're the, you know, descendants of close friends, right? Their, their dads were friends. So they're kind of connected in some way. Um, but um, uh, anyway, Legolas is the outsider, right? And the outsider because he's an elf uh, as well. So, but um, anyway, yeah, the way that Legolas is brought is connected with Aragorn from from Mm -hmm. that moment he steps forward in the council. We see that, right? Uh, Both his 
standing up to defend. Some of their authority, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and the knowledge and the gravitas and all those things that he brings to it. Like, oh, oh, I'll listen to you, and I will right. now listen to him because I'm listening to you. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. So it's a it's a fascinating um, it's a fascinating example of um, uh, an initial framing choice that they give to Legolas's character. Right. Um, from the beginning, he is because of his connection with Aragorn. He he belongs in a way. Like, if you see what I mean, like his fundamental relationship with the company is different. He's not the outsider. He's he's an insider. Um, mm-hmm. uh, insider more than many others are an insider. Um, uh, even the hobbits are more outside than Legolas in some sense. Like he and Aragorn and Gandalf are the three who kind of know what's going on. Right. right. Um, right. Bormir is kind of an outsider. Um, Gimli is kind of an outsider. The hobbits collectively are kind of outsiders. Right. Um, or certainly they're the ones who are being kind of, I don't know. They're like the roped in. The, yeah, exactly. They're, <laughs> yeah. they're, uh, um, like Boromir is kind of seeking to to be part of that center right. crew, yeah. But he's not. Whereas the hobbits are just kind of being forced into that center crew. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Um, yep. Yep. Um, yeah. Um, and I love with with Legolas the exchanges that they give him in the film. He has a really clear voice. Like, I feel like their character development with Legolas was very thoughtful, but also really real. It, it feels like a real person, a real character, which is so funny to say about this ethereal character that, that does have this gravitas and have this, you know, yes. to speak in the way that he speaks. But he also has, like, a little glint in his eye that he can, you know, convey humor and to have a very serious and skilled elf with all this knowledge and the weight of the world on his shoulders, be able to convey humor in a quick look. That also gives a depth of character that I don't know. It, it almost, it ages him in a good way to be like, wow, you're able to accomplish a lot <laughs> in mm-hmm. this one little glance. And yeah. I think they do that very well with him. I agree. The one example of that, that comes to mind right away is right before the cave troll fight in, mm-hmm. um, in Moria. Um, when the orcs are coming in, right, the way in which Aragorn and Legolas together, like they yeah. both have bows, right? And th- there's this kind of glance that they, so like they don't even need to talk. You know, they're, they're like, okay, talk. here yeah. we go, yeah. right? Well, you yeah. know, let's, uh, um, and the, the, the kind of, uh, yeah, the kind of unspoken coordination between the two of them assessing the situation, knowing what has to happen. Um, mm-hmm. uh, th- th- that was a moment where I felt like that, that um, nonverbal, communication he's very much legos is depicted as being very much like one of the guys right in a way which is again strikingly different from his sort of outsider status in in the text i love that that's your reference point of of that moment as a fight and mine is the kiss with arwen at the end of aragorn when they're doing their arm on each other you know brotherly glance and then you just see legos's eyes go like this quickly to the side and you're like Ooh, what's over there and that's when he sees Arwen so you have this kind of like bro your girl's here moment you know <laughs> right just, right it's quite sweet yep yep um yeah yeah exactly exactly um no it's and so 
with that in mind, then the way in which the film, it's not that the film doesn't convey him though as other at all, or he's, and he's not like just one of the guys because it's made clear from very early on that he can do stuff that other people can't do. Right. Uh, and of course, most of the famous stuff like this escalates over the course of the films. Right. You know, we get the, the shield surfing and that moment when he like catches and swings himself onto the back of the galloping horse. Right. Yeah. Um, in the two towers. Defies gravity. Right. Completely. Exactly. And then in the third film, of course, we have the Oliphant episode, yeah. <laughs> you know, episode. Right. Um, but even in the Fellowship of the Ring, we're already seeing this. Right. We're already yeah. we're already beginning to see him separated out for for what you know that he just not only can he do things that others can't do but like aragorn assumes he can yeah. do things that others can't yeah do. And, and he's the one that reveals that so you know we do get that moment of like us walking on the snow going into moria and uh what do your elf eyes see is what aragorn yells out so we have this moment where Legolas is doing some stuff that nobody else is capable of doing right now, and Aragorn treats it as normal and a facility of their crew that can strengthen their opportunity, yeah. you know? So it's just a tool that's yeah. it's very normalized to him. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and, and Which makes you know, it that much more magical to us. If right. it's normal to him, we're like, oh, oh, this right. is... This right, is and it, like, indirectly elevates Aragorn... Um, because of how normal it is to him, right? And also his leadership ability, right? The, you know, that the sense that he has not, you know, not just a friend, but he has like somebody he can deploy in this way, right? Somebody he can be, you know, yeah, yeah. And, it's, and, um, and in a trustworthy way too, like really seems yeah. to have a, a high level of regard for him and trusts him. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, so, uh, right, I think about, for instance, the troll fight, again, in Fellowship of the Ring. I'm thinking about, like, in Fellowship of the Ring specifically. Um, I'm trying to think of, like, where where in the film Legolas's physical abilities are first distinguished for us, like, where he stands out. One is in, he's the one who identifies the Krabine, isn't he? Yeah. Grabine from Dunland, right? He's the one who yeah. identifies the birds. Um, then that he... Might have been the first. The walking on the snow. See, and he can see it first, too. So yeah. it's not just that he knows the name and who they are and what they're doing, but he yeah. knows it's not just a wisp of cloud. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then... Um, so and then so the that, walking on the snow. And then, and, and then the walking on the snow. I think that those are the first two yeah. moments where... And the walking on the snow is the most dramatic early moment of he's different from everybody else like yeah. categorically even weirdly different from everybody else yeah. um uh and then we see following that up in the troll fight um is the first time we see him do things right that like normal people can't do the way he walks across the chain he's the one who gets the kill shot in on the troll, right? Mm -hmm. Because of walking along the chain, right? Um, but... Um, and I'm just thinking about the yeah. snow shot now, too. Like, you know, in terms of, of visual storytelling. It's not just that he was walking on top of a fresh coat of snow. 
the others were struggling and fighting and sinking and you know it was waist deep snow they were really not doing well and you know the hobbits aren't going to survive this they were they were under the snow being carried and things like that and his hair wasn't even blowing the wrong direction <laughs> right he's you know, just strolling he <laughs> yes he yeah. was fine yeah yeah it was i mean i would say breaking a sweat but it was snow but he wasn't ruffled in the slightest yeah unaffected by the things which are on almost that are there being an almost insurmountable barrier to everybody else yeah and I, and I think that's a real strength of the visuals that in a text you might read, you walked on top of the snow and go, wow, that's crazy. And then you see it and you're like, dang, you know, so it just hits a little bit stronger. Yeah. It puts them in a different category yeah. uh, with, with those things. And so, yeah, so that's, and it's fascinating that they achieved the balance that they did between like making him one of the guys and yet differentiating him successfully mm-hmm. in that in those in those kinds of ways it's a um it's it's interesting that they attempted to do both of those things yeah and it's fascinating how that how well that worked you know to do both of those things i do wonder how much freedom they gave to the actors at all if any in the process because it it really does feel like i'm thinking specifically about um legolas and pippin I feel like they really lean into the humor side of these characters and Mm -hmm. the actors themselves are quite comical. So I I wonder if there was an element of we're going to let you kind of embrace this character and and see where it goes. Yeah. Gimli too. I I wonder, uh, I wonder how much John Reese Davies, um, you know, and his personality um, kind of helped to shape uh, the direction of Gimli's character. I have this lingering, tickling cough, guys. It's going to be a doozy. Woo! <laughs> Sorry about <laughs> I'll just that. mute myself from time to time. You can blame yeah. my toddler. I got her cold. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I, okay. We talked, thinking, thinking about Legolas still. We've talked about, like, elements of his characterization. Let's talk about his role in the story, especially in The Fellowship of the Ring. And it's hard restricting it there because his prominence grows over the course of the films. Um, And some of the things we've talked about definitely are part of his role in the story. Like, to be Aragorn's reliable, confident... I mean, Legolas is pretty much Aragorn's right-hand guy through the whole film, especially because Legolas is always with Aragorn, right? Um, you know, the two of them, the two of them are never separated until the very, very end of the story, um, right. in the book. So, um, but so therefore having him be, um, Aragorn's right hand guy is, I think, an, you know, an important element of his role in the story, but, but what else? What, yeah, what else so, do we think so they're, they're, they accomplish this, with him? We've got this like bro kind of relationship. We've got this mm-hmm. confidant trusted training partner, you know, armed services kind of relationship of right. ability to trust, but also skill. But there's also this like diplomatic role that he fulfills that I didn't necessarily get from the text. <laughs> so if we are comparison but i think that's an important role for him to play 
in the film because it does play into the world building of Middle Earth that we have these different races with this intense history and now we have a bridge. Uh, this mm. character is willing to be that bridge, but he's not like, I will be a bridge. He right. just is a bridge. And and the fact that the three of them, the man, the dwarf, and the elf, well, kind of man, get separated off and have this relationship. Mm-hmm. I feel like that, I'm trying to find a, a nice way to articulate it, but it's not something that I got from the text. And right. it's something that really grew into my love of the film is the relationships that they were able to illustrate and the different races and how that works together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The emphasis on I think side point, but I think it relates to this. One of the interesting things that I think is a fun kind of accident of history here is the phrase, the fellowship of the ring, right? So Tolkien doesn't use that phrase almost at all. Hmm. Like he, he comes to eventually, but um, the moment in the film when Elrond is like, you are the fellowship of the ring. Right. Yeah. Um, That does not happen. That never happens. Uh, And they're called the company of the ring. Um, The word fellowship doesn't actually come up much or at all. Certainly as a kind of quasi title for their group until the title of the, the breaking of the fellowship. Um, Aragorn uses the word at Parth Galen. He says, what shall come now? When Because it's d- decision time. Are we going to go to Mord's Mordor? Are we going to go to Minas Tirith? Are we going to split up? What's going to happen? And so Aragorn uses the word and says, like, you know, what, what, shall, what shall become of our company, which has traveled so long in fellowship? Mm. Right. But traveled so long in fellowship is different than being called a fellowship. Exactly. It? It's, not, it's not a band yeah. name. Right. Mm-hmm. Like it's it isn't like that at all. And then even later, even at the end, you know, like so at last Gandalf says at the Grey Havens comes the end of our fellowship in Middle Earth. And even there, it's not he's not talking about the whole fellowship because Aragorn, yeah. Legolas and Gimli, they're not there. Right. right. It's just the hobbits and he's Gandalf. Talking about the word fellowship. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. In, in so, sense. yeah, yeah. So um, uh, again, it's, it's so it's not that it isn't. A th- and of course, Tolkien like chose the title, but we have to remember is what I mean by accident of history. The phrase fellowship of the ring becomes such a big deal because it's the title of the first book, right? So when pressed to it, um, and I get very, very brief, I promise historical lecture Tolkien, of course, this was always one book, right? The Lord of the Rings was always a single book in Tolkien's mind, but it's a single, very long book divided into six parts. Right. And so of course it's an accident of history in the sense that his publisher was saying a, this is a weird book anyway, and I don't know how people are going to be put off by a thousand page book on the shelf. Right. right? Um, but also it was immediately post world war two and paper was enormously scarce and very, very expensive in the post war years. Um, so he was like, what we would have to charge 
for this book Correct. because paper is so, it's like no one would be able to buy it. We're going to price it out of everybody's price range. And so for these reasons, his publisher insisted that they split it up into three volumes and publish them separately so that they'd be shorter and more affordable. And so Tolkien was pressed well after he had finished writing it, like long after the book was finalized, um, to come up with titles for the three different volumes, which he had never, ever envisioned. And so that's where The Fellowship of the Ring comes in. He did choose that. And um, no, Phil, he doesn't ever title the six books, the six different parts of The Lord of the Rings um, itself. But um, uh, anyway, he so he chose The Fellowship of the Ring. Like that was that was his title. But it's like his last second title. Now that still doesn't mean nothing. You know, he's right. still looking back over these two things. He's like, I think, you know, if, if I, you know, being pressed to give a title to the, the first two books of this, you know, together, I'm going to call it the fellowship of the ring. Um, but it's very much like his assessment after the fact, right? It's not an organic, um, Purposeful. it's certainly, yeah, it's, it's not used like a proper noun that's used organically within the story. Whereas, since, of course, they were obviously beginning with that title uh, in filmmaking, the, the the film foregrounds, I mean, the fellowship and the fellowship theme. And we think, I mean, we can probably all hum in unison the fellowship musical theme from Howard Shore's score. Right. I mean, we all know, like the if fellowship theme. I didn't have theme. a cold, guys. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, like it's so yeah, it's just there. This is it's 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 made a really, really central element, I think, very appropriately, like it's perfectly fine. All of this is coming back to what you were saying before about the elf dwarf human thing and how you felt like it was emphasized more in the film than it was emphasized in the book. And I completely agree. The book does show a like an interesting conglomeration of different peoples who are all working together. Um, But because there isn't that parallel moment that like, and you shall be called the Fellowship. I'm going to give you a band name now, and the name of your band shall be the Fellowship of the Ring, right? Um, they don't have a group identity. Um, in fact, it's very noticeable when they leave Rivendell in the book. They're all traveling together. They're all the company of the ring for now, but they're not all on the quest. Like, it's, it's Legolas and Gimli are only going with them because they're volunteering to t- like to go a little bit out of their way on the way home to keep them company for some of the journey. Boromir is headed to Minas Tirith, which is right. in the same direction. And so is Aragorn. Aragorn and Boromir are only along because they're headed, they're going to Minas Tirith and that's in the same direction as Mordor for most of the way. So they're coming along too. Um, ride. Right. But there's no sense in, you know, Merry and Pippin and Sam are there because Frodo is there. And so they're, 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 you know, they, they, they want to come with him and help him. Um, but there is no moment. There's no commissioning moment, right, where everybody is brought together and, and we're told, like, okay, now this is now who you are. This is now what you are. Um, and, of course, by having that explicit commissioning moment, introducing that explicit commissioning moment in the film, it foregrounds this element, right? Um, because they, are, they aren't given just any band name. The band name that they're given is the Fellowship of the Ring, and that's something they have to live up to. They have to grow yeah. into. Um, and so, like, can they all work together? Can they gain respect for each other? Can this motley group composed of these, you know, four 
1.5 different races, however you count Gandalf in there, um, is is like, will they be able to come together and really act as a fellowship? And and yeah. this that process is what we see. The, you know, the, the music foregrounding, right, with the fellowship theme that surges up, right, whenever they act together and work uh, properly and all that kind of thing. Um, and so, so yes, it really is foregrounded. And it's such a great challenge to the word almost, you know, like, will you be the fellowship? And they're taking that up. I'm saying they as in filmmakers. The filmmakers are taking up that challenge by saying, we are going to make you care about every single element of these characters and every mm -hmm. single moment of this story because we have, what's the total running time? 14 hours or something? <laughs> like, we have a lot of time right. that you're going to spend with these people and there have to be a lot of rising action moments and climactic moments. So for those to hit, for those to land emotionally and you know, pacing-wise and everything else, you got to care about the people leading up to it. Mm -hmm. So what a great challenge to take the word fellowship and then look at these drivers of the story and make them work together individually in small groups mm -hmm. in the big picture like i would just love to see the mind maps that they had to create and i'm sure that's right. something similar to what rings of power is doing now but they have the different challenge of a little bit of audience knowledge a little bit of expectation right and trying to make all of that fit together but still tell yeah. a really good story yeah but you're <laughs> But you're right. I mean, I'm coming back to the point that you made before, and it, it, it um, about Legos being a bridge, like one of yeah. his primary roles in the film being being a bridge. Because if you think about it, he is on the one hand, like there are two different roles that he plays in this whole fellowship theme, right? Which is so central, especially to that first film. Um, on the one hand, he is already the positive example of what should be. Him and Aragorn, right, are already this like multi-ethnic partnership right you know right. that's that's the like everybody should grow to be as close and to trust each other and work together as well as legos and aragorn already do right they're, they're totally the poster children for that but they also grew up together you know so I feel well like right i'm not saying it was yeah. hard you know but but anyway yeah. like that, that that's like that's the goal you can't really aspire to that right. that's more sure. of like an exemplar right yeah yeah, yeah. exactly but of course on the other hand he also is the primary um like the greatest success of bridging a gap, him and, Gim and Gimli, right? The friendship between Legos and Gimli becomes the model for like what can happen when you accept this whole fellowship yeah. thing, right? And, uh, and like it's so it's like both a kind of it, he and Aragorn are sort of like the framing example, right? Like this yeah. is like the aspirational example, while at the same time he's also like, and here's like what success looks like, right? When you're doing it with with uh, you know even elves and dwarves can can do this, and so in that way, and the fact that Legolas is in, is, is in both of those, right? Yeah. He's in both the uh, foundational bedrock exemplary relationship with Aragorn, and he's also in the you know success story uh uh one with with Gimli again he bridge you know he's 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 being a bridge in that way um so and and I yeah. think if I don't know I'm kind of curious what your thoughts are too on the relationship of Gimli and Aragorn if we're going to talk about that because you would think if Gimli respected Aragorn so much and he saw the relationship between Aragorn and Legolas then he'd be open to a better relationship with Legolas but I never got this super strong feeling that there was a massive amount of res 
respect is the wrong word between Aragorn and Gimli. Not that he disrespected Aragorn, but it was a bit indifferent to Aragorn. And I think that that kind of symbiotic relationship between the three of them had to work for Legolas and Gimli to function. Yes. But yes. I, I think the Aragorn Gimli relationship bears a little bit of attention too, but I don't know if you want to it, go off on that tangent or not. It does. And it certainly um we're well past time when it would have been good to shift to Gimli anyway. So let's talk about Gimli a little bit more. Because the thing that I see in both... back to Legolas, too. There's yeah. still a lot. Yeah. Don't worry. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, no, the, the thing that I see when I think of Gimli's sort of starting point, um, and we'll come to the Gimli as comic relief element, because obviously that's a very prominent thing. But, but thinking about it in the terms that you were just asking about, one of the things that I think is most important about Gimli, he's proud, even arrogant, right? He he is overcoming, his friendship with Legolas is overcoming his own prejudices. Not only his anti-elf prejudices, but even his pro-dwarf prejudices, right? Uh, Gimli in the film is always fiercely proud of being a dwarf and what that means. And so when you were talking about the respect or the disrespect that he had for Aragorn, I agree. I don't think there was anything personal there. I don't think that they tried to convey that Gimli had, for some reason, for some particular reason, a low opinion of Aragorn. But just, he did not automatically respect him. Because I don't think he automatically respects anybody. I mean, he... um, uh, he seemed to be the person, the Gimli character in the film seemed to be the one who has this sort of attitude of, he has a high opinion of himself of what it means to be a dwarf. Like he's almost, uh, he's almost like a dwarf snob. Yeah. If you see what I mean? Like he, he, um, you know, Phil, that's a really interesting point. The, the, our introduction to Gimli's character is then what are we waiting for? I'm going to hack at the ring with my axe to destroy it, right? Right, right. Um, And even that shows... I mean, think about what that action implies about him, right? Uh, First of all, it implies that he is... You know, he didn't do anything without consulting anybody. But, like, when the general sentiment seems to be towards, like, it would be good for the ring to be destroyed he immediately takes it upon himself, not just to suggest it, not just to vote for it, but to do it. Like, yeah. we're not yeah. going to make a decision. We're not going to like, okay, fine. Like, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to take this on myself. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, so the fact that he thought he had some kind of like right to act yeah, that way. He was not his. Yeah. It's, it's enormously yeah. presumptuous. Right. Yeah. And of course, futile in the end. But 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 still, like it, he didn't know that. Um, yeah. And that's the other thing. Right. High opinion of himself in the sense that, you know, having decided like, well, if we think uh, destroying the ring is a good thing to do, I'm obviously just ready to do that in a, a, in a heartbeat. And I also am going to assume that if I hit something with my axe, it's going to be destroyed because I'm me. I'm That's a dwarf, and it's my axe. Right. You know. So, right. um, uh, so anyway, I mean, I that I do think. That, I mean, those are the first things that we see um, about Gimli, and of course, it's he's also in this way a bit of a fool, right? And yeah. from that very first scene, 
he doesn't come off great. I mean, in the no. end, he looks like a bit of an idiot, right, for yeah. thinking that he... I mean, think about Elrond's careful non-eye roll after, when he's responding, you know, it cannot be destroyed by... You know, yeah. Like, it's, you know... Uh, Sit yes. down, Emily. Yeah, that's... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, exactly. Um, yeah, so... Um, anyway... Um, we do with Legolas have the specific elf dwarf prejudices in place, right? And that's something that they that they play up, though less than they might actually. I mean, yeah. I thought that was actually relatively understated um, that they uh, the, the 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 elf dwarf. Um, I'm trying to think if there was even prejudice. a specific moment where they discuss it or is it just always it comes up it it it, it 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 comes up at the council right they're like i'll be dead before i see the ring in the hands of an elf uh yeah. uh thing but we don't know why i mean we don't have no. like the historical no. recap we just know there's a big old issue because they keep saying you know elf dwarf situations right right um yes there's a there where else do we see it we get those, the I, moments I of conflict. I'd be fighting, never thought I'd be fighting side by side with a dwarf. Or how about with a friend? Right. But yeah. that's like the resolution of it, right? Yes. How does it get established leading up yeah. to that? You know, exactly. Um, there's not a lot. There's, there's the drinking scene, but that's more of a hub challenge and showing off, like I almost called him Elrond. Um, Legolas's uh, skills and imbibing. Yeah, there's not there's not a lot, is there? No, it's quite under. I mean, I think it it is established, but it's pretty understated. I'm having a hard time putting my finger on a moment in the film oh, where yeah. they're really. Oh yeah, Legolas makes a snotty comment about the smell, right? And. He says something about I could smell him coming, or no, I could hear him coming. That was in um, Lothorian. Yeah, 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 you're right. So right, the, the, the dwarf breathes so loud we could shoot him in the yeah. dark. Yeah, yeah. Um, it is what true that the the build up to the build up to Lothlorien, like foregrounds Gimli's general distrust of elves, um, which of course then gets, you know, put out the window when he meets Galadriel. Yeah, he yeah. gets Galadriel. <laughs> he gets Galadriel. Yeah. Um, and of course, in the book, um, uh, in the book, the turning point in their friendship is Lothlorien. Um, and it's funny because it happens like totally off stage. All we're told is that Legolas, because they're among elves, right? And the company lives in this like, they, have, they get this like pavilion that's set up and that's where they live together. Um, and they don't like hang out with the elves all the time. Like they don't go anywhere. Um, but Legolas does. Like he's like among his people, right? So we're told that he often 
goes off and hangs out with the elves. And then there's just that like that one sentence in which we're told, and like surprisingly, uh, Gimli went with him uh, often. And so like they they had lots of hang time in Lothlorien. And then after that, they're friends. Um, and the film does echo that. I mean, think about the conversation yeah. that Legolas and Gimli have in the boat about the gifts, right? When we get the flashback to the gifts in the extended edition. Um, and Gimli, of course, is talking about the, you know, the hairs from Galadriel's head that he got and stuff. Um, but the whole tone of that conversation yeah. of them together is like, there's like quiet confidence. There's an easiness and between the two yeah, of them. Yeah, there's a real comfort. Like, that's a really yeah. vulnerable thing for Gimli to share because 100% Legolas should be mocking him for that, right? Making fun of him. But there's none of that. So that has become a stronger relationship. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. So. I'm trying to remember lines of tension between the, like that point that were showing rivalry or distrust between the two of them. Um, the ones that there are, are so subtle and they're definitely more general, not personal. Mm -hmm. You know, it, you get the feeling that they've grown up in these races that are feeling that way about each other. So that shows us something about their communities and cultures. Um, but their actual interactions, it's not like, oh, Legolas, you're a snotty little, you know, it's, right. it's so much more about his people, not about him. So once they right. realize the person's all right, I guess you're all right. We'll hang out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I think the is. way they deliver that pacing wise is, is really well handled in Jackson's trilogy. So by the time we do get the humor, which I know is divisive, I'm very happy to talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but by the time we do get the humor, it doesn't feel like a gag or it doesn't feel trite. It feels like a natural progression of their relationship. I think a lot of people don't like that that was the progression of their relationship, but. Yeah, it it's interesting, actually. Safe. The. The moments. Okay, so let's talk about Gimli and humor. Yeah. Gimli and comic relief. I will say categorically, the times when Gimli and any other character are giving each other a hard time, and it's funny, are my are by far the least objectionable. I mean, like, um. Like, or would you rather I get you a box is a yeah. great line. Like, that's a great Such line. A great line. Um, so, and I don't, line. I don't, the problem, um, if I had to point to the scene, so there's the dwarf tossing stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, oh, which by the way, there you go. Um, don't tell the elf. Right. Yeah. Um, but again, even that is after the friendship. That's that's not really a prejudice thing. But anyway. Um, but that shows that he still cares about face value, too. You know, right. I just right. don't. don't. I just, I, let me have this. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, so even more than the dwarf, the nobody tosses a dwarf humor in the Fellowship of the Ring. The moment which for me embodies 
the elements of comic relief I dislike in Gimli's character is the we dwarves are natural sprinters moment. Mm. Like Gimli tumbling and falling around in ways which honestly strain my suspension of disbelief in that moment. Like we're seeing, we're being, the, the film and the helicopter shots and everything, right, are inviting us there at the beginning of the two towers to believe that these three companions together are, you know, running across the country and pursuing the orcs and keeping up with them. And like what they accomplish together is supposed to be a, like a feat, just a, a feat of physical stamina, which makes people awed when they hear about it. Right. Um, and yet we have, you know, Gimli at the same time, I'm told that Gimli is puffing and panting and falling over because he can't keep up. And I'm like, how, with Legolas and Aragorn running as we're shown them running, wouldn't they have to stop and sit down and, 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 and wait every five minutes for Gimli to catch up if this were the case? Like I said, it strains the... Um, I feel like the film is asking me to believe two totally contradictory things at the same time. That the three of them together are effectively able to follow the orcs, while at the same time I'm being asked to believe that Gimli is um, uh, an incompetent clown. Yeah. Um mm. And, um, uh, I don't know. I mean, if they had not done anything like that, it might have strained disbelief in the other direction, perhaps. Like, if yeah. we had seen nothing other than John Reese davies looking like chariots of fire, you know, running across, that would have been comical, unintentionally yeah. comical in a different way. And so maybe the thought is just, since you're probably going to laugh at the visual spectacle of this dwarf as, uh, you know, sprinting, for hours and keeping up with them, we might as well make it deliberately funny so that your laughter is channeled rather than laughing at something that we're asking to take you ser- you to take seriously. That's a nice way to think of it, and and not just we need a gag here. But I I can see all sides of that, but I have to say that never stuck out to me. So that scene also wasn't that impactful to my overall yeah evaluation of these relationships the re- or individual characters. The reason that I, um, the reason that I single that out is that he's not interacting with any other characters, mm-hmm. right? This is just Gimli's character clowning for the camera, right? So this right. is just a way that they're presenting Gimli's character solo, right? Yeah. And doing so in such a way as to sort of undermine our assessment of his capabilities, Right. Yeah. And this is a frequent thing with Gimli. Right. He's always talking big and coming up small. Right. He's um, now he's not just a buffoon. Like they don't make him wholly incompetent. Um, I mean, he is. There's a we don't get the line in the film, in the book, the uh, never have I seen an axe so wielded, uh, which is the comment of. Theoden? Aragorn? Who is it? Who says that? I'm blanking. In the Battle of Helm's Deep. Um, never. I'm totally blanking. Amir? I can't remember. Amir? Somebody look it up for me. It's bothering me. Who, who, uh, who, 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 who says that? Um, but um, in any case, uh, Gimli is. He's not. 
useless completely, but yeah. he's never as impressive as, but he's always talking a bigger game than he can do, yeah. you know? Um, and the, the comedy is always, um, uh, yeah. So no, it's not, the line is not when Gimli sneaks out to help them. Um, not that's not when the never have I seen an axe so wielded line that comes from the report of the battle afterwards. I believe at the moment when they're separated and Legolas is looking for him. Um, but, uh, there it is. Thank you, JJ. I thought, I hoped you would come up with that. It, it is Aragorn. If he wins back to the caves, he will pass your count again. He says to Legolas, never did I see an axe so wielded. Yeah. Aragorn oh, says it in the battle, in the battle of Helmsdale. Okay. I knew it was, we knew it was at that moment of separation, but I couldn't remember if it was Aragorn or somebody else. Okay. It you is. Somebody Aragorn. would have the answer for you. Well yeah. done. Thank you. Yeah. I, I love people with searchable e-texts to hand. Um, yes. <laughs> uh, boy, talk about, Talk about things that have changed the world of being a scholar. Can you remember the old days when you used to have to like look up a reference that you couldn't quite place? And yeah, like, I mean, I, I was know kind somebody of right said at, this, but oh man. Yeah, I was like right at the cusp of that happening, but oh man, the amount of times you had to thumb through pages to look for a specific word. And... Oh man, I wasted hours and hours and hours of my life in graduate Same with school automatic doing that. formatting of footnotes. Like, what oh that my goodness! Yeah. I spent months formatting footnotes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> bibliographies. Good grief. Um, the worst. Anyway, anyway, I like what you're saying. This makes a huge amount of sense in my mind because everything about Gimli's humor is about his sense of humor and he's funny and has these dry, witty, clever moments. But those are examples. That's an example of him being made fun of. Right. We are asked to laugh at Gimli, at not him. with him a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's why not as that. Much as in the, not as much as in The Hobbits. It's no. less painful no. than, than they, The Hobbit films. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They lean they lean into the buffoonery with The Hobbits much or with The Dwarves much, much more uh, yes. in um, in The Hobbit films. Um, and in some different ways. But but yes, with Gimli, we are being um, we are being asked to laugh at him quite a bit. And the interesting thing, though, coming back to what we were talking about before, about like. Um, bridges between races and the importance of the fellowship. It is also interesting that Gimli is Gimli is one of the only characters that we're invited to at, to at, to laugh at, not with. There are very few of the good guys that we're invited to laugh at. Um, he is certainly the most consistent one. Even Pippin and Mary, we are laughing with rather than at most of the time. Right. Um, and um, as I think with Pippin, so Phil, yeah, Phil and Nemo's aren't camera asking about Pippin because Pippin is himself laughing. Pippin doesn't take himself seriously. And we're not asked to take Pippin seriously. And we're not asked to take Pippin seriously. Yeah. Um, we're not. Gimli, asked, we're not asked to think of him as a buffoon, but he's childlike. He's yes. innocent. He's humor. Whereas Gimli is a leader, he's and skilled. thinks very highly of himself, very yeah. highly of himself. Um, so yes, even I, I, and 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 many of like uh, like the things that Pippin says that are funny are like he intends them to be like it's him cutting up, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, Pippin is. Uh, 
Wisecrack. Yeah. Pippin acts uh, out. Uh, not necessarily just in order to be funny, but... Um, uh, but yeah, I, I, he's not. It's it's not the same. And again, the the way it's different with Gimli is the disjunction between his own self-image, and the, it is when he thinks most highly of himself that we are laugh, laughing at him, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you again, again, that's another thing that jumps out at me about that sprinting moment, is that like in the moment when he is looking like a buffoon. Um, like he can't keep up with everybody else is the very moment that he is insisting that dwarves are natural. You know, dwarves are wasted on cross country. You know, we dwarves are natural sprinters. Like he's trying to justify himself by, uh, and again, like, is he joking? Is he serious? I don't think he's joke. I don't think he's exactly, I don't think he's exactly either one. Um, but, um, but he's not just making a joke. He's not asking you to laugh with him in that moment. Um, and, and the filmmakers yeah. aren't either. I mean, that's a real decision. They're they're making that moment so you laugh at him. So mm, that's that's a tough distinction to make. So I I I fully support that one now. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and John Rhys Davies, and again, we were talking about you know to what extent the actors kind of fit yeah. into this, right? I mean, John Rhys Davies clowns really well. Like yeah. he he you know. Many people have this talent um, of just like inviting you to laugh at them, right? Yeah. Um, and, and that he does can it in such a really smart way. Yes, and he does it in such a smart way that you feel like you're sitting at the table of comedic genius, or you know, the fact that he's got the Shakespearean voice and all these other things that kind of draw you into participating in that humor. You right. want to just laugh along with him. But yeah, the laughing at him is the separation. Right, right. And again, like getting people to laugh at you, I mean, that's like a, that's a, that's a totally viable stage and screen <laughs> skill. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, think of how many, think of how many people's careers have been wholly premised at getting people to laugh at them. Right. Um, yeah. But um, uh, anyway, it's, it's, So it's not him acting as a fool, uh, like literally in a Shakespearean sense. It's the fact that Gimli is turned into a fool. This is the thing. Again, this is. I I mean I think this makes like if you if you were to make if we were to make a top ten list of things that annoy Tolkien fans about the Peter Jackson films, I think Gimli being made into a into a shake into a fool into a clown. Yeah is going to be on almost everybody's top 10 list. Somewhere. So why is it that that one is more infuriate? People seem to be more vocal about the Oliphant. Oh, why? Uh, more, more vocal about the absurdity of Legos and the yeah. Oliphant. When I think it, it now feels like they should really be more personally offended by this element. I think it's a different thing. I think it's, I think the Oliphant is just like it, that it just it went too far it rides the line of gimmick you know it's just yeah yeah i mean i loved it it was fun it's it was fun i agree just you have to suspend and just be like that was silly right but i can totally see if like that was silly you know right right um yes I, i the 
I mean, you think about the progression, especially, right? Like running along the chains and shooting the cave troll in the head to shield surfing at Helm's Deep to Oliphant slaying. Oliphant surfing. Right. All, that, like there's a clear escalation, right? Yeah. Not yeah. only in how Legolas' character is being presented in his physical abilities, but how what what we're supposed to be like down with, yeah. right? Yeah. And I think people complain about the Oliphant because I just I it just it just went too far. Okay, they just, I think yeah. they, you know, it escalated beyond where people were comfortable being. Because think about to cite another example of, in a sense, further escalation, right? The Legolas can levitate by jumping off of rocks that are falling like that moment when he's running across yeah. a bridge, which is actually in the middle of collapsing and defying yeah. gravity. Right. Um, in the Hobbit films, that was like way, way too far for, I mean, like you have to with work the, within the rules of physics. Well, yeah. I mean, people like yeah. just exactly what you said about the elephant, like, okay, that was cool, but I have to work really hard to suspend disbelief. Like I am conscious yeah. of the effort that I have to exert <laughs> To suspend well, disbelief, but the 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 Hobbit film thing was not only further in that direction, but it wasn't even cool, and it was like I didn't yeah. I didn't want to suspend disbelief in that moment, right? Um, but you know, I felt that way a little bit about the horse element when he it defies gravity to swing himself up on a horse. I had to watch that multiple times because it was the first time we'd seen an effect like that on screen, mm -hmm. um, and I thought it was interesting and cool how they made it look so real, but it didn't work. You know, and now I'm I'm obsessed with I'm sure everybody here knows of the quarter crew and the, these VFX artists that talk about how a shot is made, and I can just hear them in my head watching that scene going back and through, being like, "Here's why it doesn't work," and you can break it down and look at the different techniques that they used. And now I can only imagine that they would work with physics to right. make him launch onto a horse like a vaulter is capable of doing where the wrist doesn't snap at 90 degrees, you know, and, and make that more believable. So then it becomes this awe inspiring thing because that could happen. But immediately I'm like, that couldn't happen. So it right. takes you out of the story. Yeah. That's a fine line. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, but I think that the, the, the kind of the, the, the so the, the, the struggles that people have with things like, with like the horse scene and with the elephant scene, are of a different kind of order. Um, mm. And I completely agree um, with Nameless Arcanum on Twitch here. Um, and we can see both the Twitch and YouTube comments, by the way. Um, uh, that one of the other problems is Gimli's the only dwarf in the whole film. And so therefore to have the only dwarf in the film be a clown um, means that like you're just laughing at dwarfs. There's Nowhere is like there are a lot of people out there who love Tolkien's dwarves, right? Lots of huge dwarf fans out there, and the film gives them so little um, because what the, the primary, almost exclusive representative uh, in the film is I don't want to say just comic relief because Gimli never is merely comic relief, yeah. but he is, um, but but he is a clown, a, a, a consistent clown. And he's also kind of the safe conduit for humor. So, like, when you need a moment of levity in a scene, it's most likely going to come from him or Pippin. And those are two different styles of comedy. Yeah. So, depending yeah. on what the scene requires, you've got these two tools that you can wheel out. But that means that it's being wheeled out. So, that means that is his shtick. That means that that is, you know, his, his identifier. 
And if that's the only dwarf that you have, then you're going to make an assumption about that entire race based off of this representative, which is tough. We're, there was like another dwarf or two at Council of Elrond, right? But they never said anything. They never did anything. Right. Uh, right. Right. That. Yeah, no, exactly. We, that, that's, it's not that there was never another dwarf on on stage, but... They didn't it, do anything. They yeah. were representatives. Yeah, they yeah. didn't do anything. They, they were there in the background once and then and then never again. And I mean, the whole whole trilogy. I mean, there was it was, it was not there were there were there were no. Whereas again with Legolas, he's our primary elf, but there's you know lots of other elves all over the place uh, yeah. in the story, and so and if, lots and lots of representations of their culture and, and their communities too. The only one we yes. have of the dwarves is dead and decaying. Right, is Moria exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, Yes, yes. I can, um, I can see exponentially now the the love of our friend Varking that uh, as of dwarves and rings of power because they're, yes. they're amongst my favorite elements of rings of power. Completely. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, thinking about the thing from the other side, right? Um, on the top ten list, I think of you know of like best things about the rings of power i think for everybody it oh, is yeah. the dwarves and the de- dwarves. and the depiction of khazad doom um and the music. so uh, yeah 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 um but um yeah so that was um it's hard i i don't to some extent there's a certain amount of like um like it's unfortunate the way it worked out, like the combination of events, right? That like the the character of Gimli that they had, um, and that he was already kind of inclined towards this. Like, um, well, I actually never finished this other thought. Back to the fellowship thing, right? If you think about it, the fellowship has to come together, and there are obstacles to the fellowship coming together. But very, there's almost nobody who has a voice, which is like an elitist voice, right? Almost nobody actually voices the sentiment, "Well, I'm not going to lower myself to be in a fellowship with you people," right? Which is obviously one of the things that has to be overcome. Like that, that kind of feeling would have to be overcome in order to make them into a fellowship. Gimli actually does voice that comically, right? Um, Again, he's I I, I, I I think he's the most arrogant and stuck up member of the fellowship. I mean, like he's the only one who is like my culture is superior and all that, and I'm going to go on and on endlessly and boringly about like how awesome we are and how improbably fantastic everything about dwarves is, right? Um, and that whenever he does that, he, that is undermined, right? Part yeah. of the comical effect is to undermine his like his own inclination towards arrogance and elitism. Right. And that's one of the and th- and that is it is effective in the fellowship storytelling. Right. Um, the forging of the fellowship storytelling. Um, and uh, um, anyways, yeah. So I think that that's I, so I don't think it's a horrible idea to have him be funny, even in a clownish, even to invite us to laugh at him instead of with him. But then you also combine the factor of like it's John Reese Davies and he's really really good at clowning and making us laugh at him. Um, but then the fact that yeah, the downside of all of this is that he's the only dwarf, and so therefore, yeah. you know, the cost. I, mean, I always talk about costs and benefits, right? The cost of that 
move. There were great benefits to that move, but the cost yeah. of that move is now we've marginalized dwarves completely. Right. Yeah. And, you know, there are a lot of things, a lot of things, a lot of criticism or even criticisms that I would still have of the films, which I personally have to put into the category of um, it's a cost. It's an expensive cost. Right. I mean, it's there. There are some of these costs are rather dear, but that doesn't even necessarily mean that I think it's not a choice they should have made. It's just I can't help but notice how expensive that was. Right. Yeah. Um, but it's and this is where I think so many times people in thinking about adaptations are are sort of frankly unfair. Right. Like it's easy to take individual elements and say, oh, that could have been better. Like, oh, I would have done that. But but yeah. But what would have been the consequence of that change if you had not done yeah. it the way that they did it? If you had made Gimli into like epic, awesome dwarf and everyone is admiring his awesomeness all the time, what would have been the cost that that would have come with a cost, too? What would have been the cost? Right. And you, and you got to think that through. And is that cost actually less than the cost of what we see? It's that's not really you can't just in a vacuum say, oh, yeah. I done that better yeah and, and that's that's not invalidating you know your opinions of of what you think you could do either because that's the power of adaptation like you could tell that story differently isn't that amazing you yeah. could tell that story differently yeah but the fact is that you have to think of it like a symphony you can't take one instrument out because the rest won't sound right so right yeah being able to play that game and pull at those different tensions and make it make a beautiful story there's mm -hmm. going to be moments where somebody's playing out of tune. It's amazing how often we compare this to music. But to it music, works. yeah. 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 <laughs> but occasionally somebody will play out of tune because just something isn't quite right with whatever just happened in that moment. But the entire symphony is still going to be a beautiful piece of music. So I, I don't want us to sound like we're saying the Peter Jackson trilogy is perfect. We're saying these decisions made sense and I can see why they did it. That part I didn't like, but I can work with that, you know? Right. So it's just kind and of it's... working yourself through that. <laughs> It's one of the things. Uh, th so, like, everyone, I think, almost everyone would admit that these movies are great movies. Like, you, even even people who are like, I don't like them. I'm a Tolkien fan. I, I don't, I've never liked them. But, like, they were great movies. Like, they're really, they're very, very successful movies. Not just in the sense of being randomly popular for some reason, but... Of being really powerfully effective, yeah, works of cinema, yeah. Um, so, so obviously, when we're looking at the choices that they made and weighing the costs and benefits of the choice that they made, well, <laughs> the the benefits are going to win most of the time. Yeah. I mean, it, and 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 this for me is one of the things that I think I'm, um, that I'm really really interested. Um, about, right. JJ says, I think you're correct because Christopher Tolkien is no longer able to speak up. Right. Yeah, you're right. Now the, There's <laughs> right, that. Right. He would not have agreed. Um, but um, uh, but yeah, no, it, it, it's. Here's the thing that I find so fascinating, and this is one of the reasons why, for me, it's so useful to think through the Peter Jackson films in the kind of detail that we've been doing. Because. When I anatomize, when I compare and contrast, when I go down the list, right? Um, it's funny that you just felt you had to say at the end, we're not saying these films are perfect, right? 
because when I'm talking about the Peter Jackson films on my own, I mostly have to end my episode by saying, now, I'm not trying to say they sucked. Like, I, it's not like, don't get the impression that I just hate them because I really right. don't. Right. Yeah. Uh, because, again, when I'm simply comparing with the text and I'm saying, like, OK, what is Tolkien doing in these moments? What are the films doing at these moments? I'm continuously being like, oh, yeah, no, I think that was a, that was that was a poor choice. So, you know, that was, I'm trying to be fair, but that was also a poor choice. Like there are so many like item by item by item. I'm like, yeah. I, 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 I don't like it as an, I mean, there's so many things I still don't like about it as an adaptation. Um, and yet. Thinking it through this way helps me to like, how is the whole better than the sum of the parts, right? Like, how yeah. do we, you know, when, when really thinking about it and when trying to frame it in these different terms, rather than taking these, like a particular character, a particular incident in a vacuum, right? And trying to say, you know, how are they doing and what are they doing? Um, I think it's, it's really interesting to be thinking through these kinds of choices that they're making and looking at how all those choices fit together. Cause it's true. When we think about it on those terms, those cost benefit choices that you're always having to make an adaptation. Um, even if I feel like, Oh, they're missing the boat there. No, they're missing the boat there. Um, the whole really does stand up really well, not just as a movie, but even as an adaptation of Tolkien. Um, and, but I, but again, I feel like that's, the more in the weeds you get, the, the, the less you are really thinking about the film as a film, the, 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 the film on its own terms. Um, the, le- the, the, the more you think about it that way, the easier uh, it becomes to appreciate. It's a challenge in the curse of the filmmakers, too, of like, if I make this change, I'm going to take the fan out of the story because they're going to recognize it. And taking them out of the story is the biggest risk you run because then you go into analysis mode and not into enjoyment mode. Right. So if you're going to risk that, why? You better know why, you know? And right. that, that, I think, is the main issue that folks run into with filmmakers when changes are made without any consideration as to the cost. So if, if you're just making changes because you think the character should die at the end as opposed to live, why did you do that? Let's discuss that process because huge repercussions. Whereas this, I feel like it's very thoughtful. I can see why they thought to do that and why they thought that would work and what fun they had doing that and where that led mm-hmm. to in those moments. And I didn't like that one, but that kind of worked. And, you know, the, the process feels more thorough here. And Corey and I were saying before we even started, like, how funny this is to us, too, because... We've, we've been doing, what is this, 39, you said? 39, 39. episodes, yeah. We're, we still both feel like we're just scratching the surface. Yeah, like this yeah. Is it's like at, at some point we're going to have to stop just with this superficial analysis and really stop and dig in carefully, right? <laughs> yeah. Like we, we really will have to like cite some theory at some point, but like this is plenty <laughs> for us to just get a start yeah. on. So we got yep. decades. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we put a pin in that one. Yeah. Oh, Larry, we'll get there. Um, Denethor. Yeah, so. De- yeah we got to talk about the Denethor. We choice. have to talk about Denethor Faramir Bormir thing. That'll be that'll be a topic. Yeah. I also want to talk about it a little bit in relation to Rings of Power because I feel like the Numenor Gondor thing is real cool when you have the Peter Jackson visuals in your mind as well. So I want to play with that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yep. Don't worry. Yep. We'll get there. We'll get there. 
We'll totally get And then that. we're going to talk about architecture, and then we're going to talk about animals, and then we're going to talk about costumes. Gonna... <laughs> it's it's going to be good. It's going to be yeah. good. All right. Um, we're coming to, when we're past the end of our time, actually. Um, but um, so uh, things are going to be a little bit unusual the next two weeks. Maggie, you're traveling for the next couple I'm weeks. Away. So we'll, yeah, I'm in we'll be without you for the next two weeks. So for the next I'll two weeks. Um, I think what we'll do is while Maggie is gone. Uh, so one of this two, I, I can't do the 20th either. So the week after next will be off next week. Um, I might do a, a special solo episode um, because um, now this is contingent. <laughs> this is contingent on personal situations. Um, I would really love to talk about the D and D film um, that is out in theaters right now. Um, I've been a, an avid Dungeons and Dragons player since I was in high school. Um, love D and D and I know it very, very well. Um, so this is a, to me, a fascinating adaptation moment. Um, uh, especially raising the question, like, so what is exactly being adapted? Right. What is the source text here? In what sense is this a D and D movie and not just another fantasy movie? Right. I know. Like, um, and when I come back, I want to be able to at least like have a quick chat about narrative of game versus narrative of yes. film and how yes. that works. Cause that's real interesting, but I'm, I'm not a D and D person. I'm married to one, but, <laughs> <laughs> and I think the whole construct of the story is, is really fitting to a lot of the things that we look at here on, on, on other minds anyway. So I'm yeah. sad I'm missing it, but, can most definitely hold his own better than I can on that one. So I, yeah. I, so we'll, we'll we'll talk about that. I say what it's contingent on, of course, is my getting a chance to see the movie between now and then. Um, goals. I think there's goals. goals exactly. There's a certain there's a certain um, there's a certain upswelling of uh, sentiment in my household uh, as I am not the only avid D and D player in my family. So um, this uh, this will probably be able to happen. But so assuming. I am able, in fact, to get myself to the theaters and see the D&D film uh, between now and next Thursday. Then uh, I will plan to have an initial discussion about the D&D film uh, as, a, again, a truly fascinating project in adaptation. So we'll talk about that next week, and then we'll be off the week after that on the 20th of April. Um, and then um, and then we'll, then Maggie and I will be back after that. So. And I feel like to really mix it up when we come back, we should talk about the Barbie movie for like 10 minutes. <laughs> okay. Okay. That's what I feel like I'm writing a paper on soon. The ad campaign is phenomenal. Right. <laughs> anyway, so you will not see me for a couple weeks, but I will catch up with uh, Corey's episode on YouTube later and see you guys when I'm back. Cool. In a new house. Yay. Here we go. There we go. You'll be in the... You'll Maybe I'll have found the... my ring light and my microphone and... <laughs> <laughs> you mean your things. your equipment might be out of boxes by then? Who knows? Maybe, but that seems really ambitious. I don't that know. Does. I've got a, a U.S. trip in the middle of that. <laughs> right. Right. All right. Exactly. All right. Thanks, everybody. Uh, Thanks, we will see you guys again soon. Bye now. Bye.